Hi, I'm Michelle Shepard, host of Uncover Charmini from CBC Podcasts. In 1999, 15-year-old Charmini Anandavel disappeared on her way to a job that police believed didn't exist. Four months later, her remains were found in a wooded ravine. I revisit the case that has stayed with me for over 20 years, ever since I first covered it as a cub crime reporter for the Toronto Star. You can find Uncover Charmini on CBC Listen or on your favourite podcast app. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to The Dose. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Today, we're talking about P1, the COVID variant of concern that's taken hold in BC and is spreading east, and what you need to know about it. So what's the weather like in uh, Vancouver today? It is uh, gorgeous, like 15 degrees, sunny, the blossoms are going, the flowers are blooming. It's a lovely day. And I hate to rain on your lovely day, but but what's it like on the front lines right now? Yeah, it's not good out here. Um, I think like most places in Canada, we're struggling with this current wave. ICUs are filling up, um, hospital wards are filling up, and there's just a generalized sense of anxiety when you talk to anybody anywhere about anything. Hi, my name is Srinivas Murthy. I'm at the Faculty of Medicine at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver, Canada. I'm an infectious diseases and critical care clinician, as well as a researcher. Um, and I've been working on pandemic preparedness for a number of years. We're going to try to relieve, kind of replace some of that anxiety that comes from uncertainty with, with some knowledge. So let's talk about P1 and what's happening in Western Canada. BC is now the center of the largest outbreak of P1 outside of Brazil, where it originated. What are you seeing in terms of the outbreak and in particular what you're seeing in hospitals in BC right now? Not thrilled about that distinction, I'll say. Um, what we're seeing right now is like most of the country is that like there's hospitals that are filling up, ICUs that are filling up with lots and lots of sick patients right now. Patients who were younger, we think, compared to previous waves with very bad disease. Like are our ICUs completely full and we're not at the point of Ontario yet, but we're probably a couple of weeks behind. What do we know about the people who are getting sick? We know that they're getting sick and sick quickly. Um, There's time from symptom onset to their being hospitalized or requiring ICU seems, at least anecdotally, to be less. So how much do we, can we attribute to what you're seeing in BC to, to P1? BC does a reasonably good job, or at least has done a reasonably good job of, of sequencing virus that's emerged. Its timeliness isn't always great, but it actually does get do a lot of sequencing. And the rate of change of P1 over this past month has followed the exponential curve, sadly. And so while just having a handful of cases in February, March, we're now at many hundred cases. And as you said, the largest cluster outside of Brazil. And that number continues to rise. And so how much of this wave is directly P1 related or how much of it is B117 related or how much of it is just young people being out and communicating with each other at their place of work related or older people being vaccinated and everyone else not related? Very difficult to say, but we can say that the transmissibility of these new variants is, is having an impact. 
You know, in Ontario, where I work with the B117 variant, we've seen a slow but steady march in terms of the increase in the number of, of cases that we're seeing, hospitalizations, and, and, and patients in the intensive care unit. By comparison, how quickly is P1 spreading in BC, and, and what impact are you seeing in hospitals related to the speed at which it's, it's taking place? Yeah, I wouldn't use the word incremental when looking at our P1 numbers. I would use sort of more of an exponential framework. It is increasing substantially over these past few weeks, and that's obviously concerning. Having direct information about which patient has which variant isn't always available right away. And so I can't say of this patient, we're getting this much variant and that patient, we're getting that variant. But we can say that based on the numbers reported by the public health folks every day, that the variants that are P1 or B117 are are going up and going up quickly. You know, I think a lot of provinces will be looking to Ontario and saying we're the basket case of the country. Are you looking at your own province and saying, we could be there very soon. Yeah, we're not that far behind you guys, I don't think. I think we have a lot of problems coming our way. Um, granted, the weather is good. People are getting outside. And so maybe that'll make an impact. The vaccination policies are going out and we're targeting vaccines into high-risk populations and regions. So that's good. But obviously, it's a race. And I think that's a race that we're losing right now. And so there will likely be a, a period of pain over this next couple of weeks as the case counts continue to increase, our ICUs get more full, and our health system starts to creak. I want you to put your infectious diseases uh, cap back on. What's known about P1's transmissibility? It seems, and this is once again from Brazil, and so the data that we're getting from Brazil um, is in a context where there wasn't a lot of public health interventions implemented, um, and that's for a variety of political reasons, but it does seem that its transmissibility is increased compared to the wild type or the, the original COVID virus. Um, but the proportion of transmissibility increase due to P1 is difficult to say. Like British Columbia will be the best case um, for proving to the world what the actual transmissibility is, as we'll learn over the coming days and, and weeks. What I'm worried about is severity as well. There's a lot of sort of interest as to whether or not this P1 causes more severe disease. And with B117 from the UK, we learned that it did cause more severe disease. And we think that this P1 is similar in that in that way. Um, obviously, if it's something that's more transmissible and more severe, that's especially concerning. I want to make sure everybody's understanding what, what, what you've just said. If I understand it correctly, it's possible that some of this kind of wild or much increased transmissibility that we saw in Brazil just had to do with the context, with the system or the lack of infection control measures that that for instance, you have in British Columbia. Have I got that right? Correct, correct. Obviously, it's, it's, it's based on the data that we see from there. It's likely that it's much more transmissible, and especially looking at the data from the past month in British Columbia, um, it's likely that's the case. Um, um, so I'm concerned. You don't like to broadcast numbers um, without lots of good hard science, but I've heard that it could be that P1 could be 1.4 to about two times more transmissible, which yeah. is scary. Yeah, no, I've heard those those numbers as well, and like we worked so hard over this past year dealing with a very difficult virus, and to amplify that degree of difficulty by, like you say, 1.4 or two times is obviously um, stressful. 
What are the implications of that on the rules for COVID Classic that we have come to parrot many times, like two meters distance and and uh, no more than fifty, you know, no more than. Well, if you're if you if you're in 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 an enclosed space with somebody for more than fifteen minutes inside of two meters, that's the benchmark for your risk of of, of infection. It's obviously impossible to say like just do all of those things and do them better. Uh, I think people have been trying to do them better for the past year, and so it's going to be challenging. I think it's really like avoiding those situations where you have to even apply those rules in the first place, um, which is really going to be hard for a lot of our society, but it's going to be important over these next couple of weeks. And so being in places like workplaces or factories or anything like that just really needs to be reconsidered. And we really need to start considering um, shutting things down in that respect. How lethal is P1 compared to the COVID that we have been more familiar with over the past year? Yeah, that's a tricky question. I spent a lot of my time trying to standardize severity of disease to figure out exactly which disease is going to be severe in which population. The Brazilian data shows that it's associated with a lot of death. Their health system was very much strained at the time. So to say that P1 was the cause of the increased death rate compared to their health system falling apart was the cause. Difficult to tease out. Um, so we'll be able to say in British Columbia with people who we know are P1 infected, what their likelihood of having a severe disease is and what their likelihood of having lethal diseases. I know the area around Whistler has the highest rate of COVID in BC and Whistler is now offering vaccines to anyone 18 and older who lives and works there. So what do we know about how the approved vaccines in Canada work against P1? We know a bit. Um, We don't have good clinical trial data to say that they will or will not be effective. What we do have is some in-lab data that says that maybe your antibody response to the approved vaccines may be a bit less to P1 compared to the original virus. We can't say if that's going to affect whether your clinical disease will be different. What's likely is that it'll provide you some protection. And so I wouldn't say at this point that the vaccines don't provide any protection to P1 and getting your vaccine urgently is probably not just probably, it is the recommendation right now. Um, And I think we need to just start to learn and go forward. And there will likely be a couple of escapes, um, namely people who have vaccinated who get this disease. Hopefully it's just a few and not increasing amounts. So what's a bit less effective? Uh, That's a good question. We don't, so it's all lab data. And so I don't want to extrapolate how much different your antibody response is in a in a test tube compared to how you will do in a in real life um, and so i can't give you exact numbers but it might be a bit less and say our pfizer vaccine is 90 or 95 percent effective and so drop that down a bit let's say we're going to pause here for a short break and we'll be right back For the doom scrollers among us, one of the more disturbing aspects of the P1 outbreak in Brazil is that many people who got COVID in the first wave have gotten reinfected. For people in Canada, to what extent can P1 reinfect someone who had the classic COVID or another variant like B117? Uh, We don't know. And so we think that there have been reports, obviously, from Brazil and a significant number of people who were infected with an original virus strain who then get the P1. Um, We do know, A, that the vaccine provides probably better immunity than natural infection. And so getting the vaccine should prevent you from getting P1 from that perspective. 
And there hasn't been that many people in British Columbia and in Canada who were infected proportionally compared to Brazil anyway in that first and second waves. And so, like, yes, it's still a risk. People who have been vaccinated or who have had infections should be vaccinated in this coming out coming vaccination rollout. And so I'm not as worried about the reinfection perspective from a natural infection. I'm more worried about the immune escape from vaccination itself. Um, it hasn't been peer reviewed, but I do know of one study out of Brazil that said out of every 100 COVID-19 survivors, anywhere from 25 to 60 could become reinfected if exposed to P1. Yeah. Well, that's an alarming figure. It's a high number, um, and it hasn't been peer-reviewed, and I've seen that paper, and it's based on a lot of assumptions going forward, and uh, obviously, it's a, it's a, for the doom scrollers, it's a concern. Um, as the data emerges from British Columbia, we'll start to see how real that is. So it comes time for the call to action. What should people do to protect themselves against P1? The same thing they've been doing individually, I think. It's time to, to hunker down right now. I think these next couple of weeks with the case counts as they are, are the time to really lock this variant down to make sure it doesn't continue to spread across our population, both in British Columbia and across the country. Um, and so it, time to strike is now, basically. Um, and so uh, uh, if you don't have to go out of your house or don't have to go to work, um, don't. That being said, go outside, play, um, all those things that keep you sane, but keep your distance from others. And what are you advising people about the two-meter rule, about the 15-minute rule inside? Like, I think if you are following public health orders for those circumstances, namely wearing a high-quality mask and maintaining distance and keeping your interactions time-limited, um, on the balance of risks, you're protecting yourself as much as you can. P1 is spreading to Alberta. We know that. How's it getting there? Uh, I can't speak to the exact cases, but it seems like they're reporting interprovincial or international travel. Um, and I think we all appreciated that like, with our borders, our provincial borders being open, people do travel back and forth. And Whistler, for example, had people traveling from all across the country, traveling there to go skiing as of just a couple of weeks ago. And so I would not be surprised to see ongoing spread across the country outside of the Atlantic provinces as interprovincial travel remains. What would you advise someone who wanted to travel to a different province? Right now is not the time. Right now is the time to stay close to home. Essential travel should be really considered as to how essential it is. And obviously non-essential travel should not happen. What about someone who wants to travel internationally right now? I guess like it's a question of like why you're traveling internationally. I think we're more of a risk to other places rather than the other way around. Traveling to places which have less disease than us, which is a lot of places, um, I would think those countries would look askance at Canadians who have one of the highest rates in the world right now. Is there value right now in quarantine, in self-quarantines, as a way to mitigate the risk of, of international spread of P1? So I think, like, I, I hate to say the cat is out of the bag in Canada already, but, like, the, all of the the border stuff, like, it could have been useful quite some time ago. Right now, with the with the situation we are in, with, with ongoing community-based spread, our positivity rates in the 8 to 12% range across most of the country, um, I think we have bigger problems to solve rather than our border right now. What should Canada be doing right now to stop P1? 
so I think like it's it's where it's being transmitted. And so in British Columbia, we don't want it to spread within British Columbia. And so minimizing um, workplaces or factories or indoor places where it's being transmitted. And so like everything that's not essential um, closed down. And our definitions of essential need to be very stringent. An Amazon warehouse that can redeem a product within one day is not essential. Um, most of our factories really aren't essential and we can figure out a way of paying those workers to stay home uh, at least for a short period of time while we figure this out and get disease control. I think keeping our provinces and our travel limited to only absolutely essential travel only is, is, is obviously crucial. I know our airplane companies continue to travel across the country. That should be con a question. Um, and then sort of the vaccination rollout. And I think making sure that our vaccination rollout is targeted to people who are at higher risk of transmitting the disease and high risk of getting the disease. Um, we did a great job of targeting our long-term care facilities. We did a great job of targeting um, indigenous communities in the far north. And I think now is our time to do a great job of targeting places where the disease is going to be transmitted. What about other emerging variants? I know, for example, that in Japan, they've identified something called the E484K mutation, nicknamed EEK by some scientists that reportedly reduces vaccine effectiveness. How concerned are you about the idea that any progress could be undone by any new variant? Yeah, of course. I think this is the challenge with this virus, that it'll constantly adapt and constantly evolve. And we have to a, as a scientific community, and B, as a like, sort of a larger community, adapt. And so the scientific perspective, making sure vaccines can really keep up to date with emerging variants and make sure that if one does really show an ability to break through, that we have another one ready to go, similar to the flu vaccine, where we can constantly change um, what's being given to folks. And I think that may be um, something that's in our near future, where we have an updated shot with uh, updated um activity against new variants. And then from a public health perspective, I think now is the time to sort of like, block the ability of new variants to form because we have a vaccine that's available in sort of slow amounts in the coming weeks and months around the world. Like now we really need to lock things down to make sure that we can get enough people vaccinated and not give more opportunities for variants to emerge and variants to spread. So at the end of the day, what do you think will win vaccines or variants? Uh, variants. Really? If we have a race between variants and the vaccine right now, um, the variants will win. If we can implement non-vaccine interventions to help prevent things and like, start to scale out vaccination to a place that we get a good level of immunity in our population, then I think we can have a fighting chance against them. So you say hunker down now for April, May, and June. What does our summer and fall look like? Uh, summer and fall, like if we, can, if we have enough vaccine coming to Canada that we can get a lot of people vaccinated by the summertime. Um, and so summer and fall, I'm more optimistic about. We just need to get to that place um, and not consider this a race between the variants and the vaccine, but consider this a race between the variants and us preventing the disease plus the vaccine as our ticket out of this whole thing. Well, Dr. Sunimas Murthy, uh, thank you for that morsel of optimism to end our conversation on. Of course. Take care, Dr. Golden. Dr. Srinivas Murthy is an infectious diseases and critical care specialist in Vancouver and assistant professor of medicine at UBC. 
here's what you need to know. The P1 variant of COVID is behind the rapidly increasing number of cases in BC right now. Doctors strongly believe that P1 is much easier to spread from person to person. Compared to COVID classic, P1 likely causes faster and more severe disease in younger people. COVID vaccines may be a bit less effective against P1, but they are effective. Unfortunately, P1 is likely to spread to the rest of Canada, especially if we continue to travel freely from province to province. The next two weeks are critical to containing P1, if that's even possible. Stay away from people who aren't in your household. Wear a mask and, at minimum, practice safe physical distancing. Don't travel to other provinces unless absolutely necessary. Do all that and maybe we'll come out of this okay once enough of us get a vaccine. If you have topics you'd like to hear on The Dose or questions you'd like answered, email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can also tweet me at nightshiftmd or at cbcwhitecoat using the hashtag thedosecbc. You can find The Dose and White Coat Blackheart wherever you get your podcasts. Please do us a favor and rate our shows highly so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Willow Smith with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. Thanks to Austin Pomeroy for technical support. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health, but if you're looking for medical advice, see your health care provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.